Have you ever had uh, somebody gave you a gift, Christmas gift, birthday, who cares when, they gave you a gift and it was completely useless? Like one of those gifts, you open it up, it's like, like one of the grandma gifts. You know, grandma gives you something, you open it up and you're like, what? Like, do you even know me? Like, I've been your grandchild for 12 years. Why in the world would I want this? It's a dress and I'm a guy. I don't understand. You know, one of those like, I don't get it. Now, if you know my wife, some of y'all do, my wife, or if you've ever been at her house, you know she is, and she is she's, she's very with it when it comes to decorating and things like that. Like, our, our house is always clean. Everything's in its place all the time. A couple of months ago, I had a, a coffee table that was starting to fall apart, and we got it from Ikea. You know, it's not real expensive furniture. Starting to fall apart, and we had some of our small group ministers over, and one of our small group ministers, you've heard him speak up here before. His name's David Stippick. We call him Stippick. Um, I said to Stippick, this, this thing's about to fall apart. I said, um, I said, hey, I dare you to belly flop on the coffee table right now. And he was like, seriously? And I was like, yeah. And my wife's like, no, don't. It's going to bust it. And I was like, it's falling apart. We need to get a new one. I'll buy a new coffee table if you'll let him do it. She says, okay, so he belly flops, shatters it. it, I mean, like, blows it apart. And so I was all in to buy a new coffee table. We needed a new coffee table. What I didn't realize, because my wife has, you know, things particular, they're in their place, they match. When we got a new coffee table, it, it meant that she bought two new end tables and some new decorations for the, you know, bookshelf type thing and new paintings. All of a sudden, I was like, I wasn't planning on spending all this money. But for her, it's got to match, it's got to go together which really surprised me when her grandparents, her mom, via her grandparents, gave her a gift that I thought she's definitely gonna laugh at this and, and throw it away because there's no way she would ever keep it. But she is determined to keep it. I, I brought it for you because I wanted you to see this. This is not mine. This is my wife's. We're the proud owner of this in our house. Uh-huh. That's a cow head with an Indian painted on it and a feather. She got it, and I'm like, there's, there's no way. She's, we're keeping this, and, and we have it. She's like, I will, I'm not going to get rid of it. It was my grandmother's, and I'm like, well, your, your grandmother's not with us anymore, nor is this cow, so, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. We keep it. But what do you do, what do, you do with a useless gift? We, we put ours in the attic so that I can pull it down for a sermon illustration when it works. Now here's the thing, you've been given a useless gift probably at some point in your life, but what we're gonna talk about for the next three weeks as we journey through this series, it's all about the gifts, is this truth that God has given you a gift or, or several gifts, we call them spiritual gifts, and they're anything but useless. God has given you some gifts that, that he has purposely from the beginning of time given you so that you can do great things alongside of him here in this world. This is a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. You can see from there how thick it is. It's like the, the war and peace of Bible nerds. What it does is it takes scripture, the Bible, and helps us come up with doctrines and things like that. Because in the Bible, and we'll, we'll see some of these passages over the next couple of weeks, the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, but the Bible doesn't give a definition of what it is. Paul doesn't ever say, hey, they're spiritual gifts, and here's what they are. A spiritual gift is blah, 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 blah. So this book is one of those that does that. And so in uh, this book, on, in one of the chapters about gifts, it says this about what a spiritual gift is. And it'll put it up on the screen for you too. 
says a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So there you have it. A spiritual gift is any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the ministry of the church. So God has given you some of these abilities with the purpose of you doing great things with them. Now here's the deal. You might have the ability to throw a football 70 yards. It's not a spiritual gift unless it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, which it, I guess it could be, and used in the ministry of the church for the kingdom of God. Okay, so most people would probably come back and say throwing a football 70 yards is not a spiritual gift, but you, you will have these things that God has given you in order to do great things. Now, here's what a lot of people believe, and they would never say this out loud, but people believe and they act this way that, that the work of the church, the ministry of the church, is reserved for pastors. That's why we have pastors or youth ministers or music ministers or children's pastors because we, we, we hire them to go out and do ministry. Now, that's not a biblical concept whatsoever. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other time. That is not what a pastor's job is. A pastor's job is to equip the body of Christ, the church, to unleash their gifts to do the ministry. But I want to give you a, a vision of what it looks like when a couple of people, like just some pastors, are the only ones using their gifts, as opposed to what it looks like when a lot of people are using their gifts. So anybody racing fans in here, like F1 racing, some of y'all? So I'm, we're, I'm gonna show you two videos. It's pit stop videos. One is from 40 or 50 years ago, I think, maybe even longer, of a car coming in and a team of people doing the pit stop, and then we'll see one that's like near or close to our time, okay? Let's hit that video. Okay, 1950. I'm gonna talk through it a little bit. But Holland comes in for a pit stop. Time to refuel and change tires. Lou Moore himself changes the tires. Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's a tense time. Holland stays in his seat, anxious to get away. Let's watch. Okay, so while we're watching, he said this. He's got only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car and the driver's staying in his seat. So there's three people, three people that are doing any of the work. And we're still waiting. are changed at last. A crewman polishes the windshield as Holland moves away just 67 seconds after he stopped. 57 seconds. It's almost painful how slow it was when three people are doing it. So here's four years ago. How times have changed, right? I mean... Totally, but did you notice in, in the one, there's three people. Call it the youth minister, the pastor, and the music minister, and they're doing all the work, and, and one guy's washing the windshield. And then you see how, how it's evolved. Where I mean, everybody's standing, they're ready when it's time. They all have their job. Everybody has their role to play, and everybody does their role, and it's much more efficient, and that's how you win races. So here's, that, that's the picture that we've got to see that 
We're supposed to be a church that's more like 2013 as opposed to 1950, where we're all engaged, where we all have a gift. One person is a tire put on person, another person is a tire take off person, or whatever. We have our gifts and, and we do it, and the, the, the work of God goes better, more efficient. We reach more people, we disciple more people because we're all engaged, and it's not just one or two or three of us who are like paid to do it. So here, here's what I want you to understand though. Here's, and we're, this is what we're gonna see as we journey through a bunch of passages this evening. God's plan from the beginning, from way back, we're gonna go to the Old Testament tonight, from way back, God's heart and his plan was to put his power in so that you could do ministry that changes the world. That, that's a pretty heavy concept. God, the creator of the universe, from way back when, it wasn't just a, a, a new idea, way back before you were born, before your parents were born, before your grandparents were born, God went, you know what? You're gonna be here, and you're gonna have a gift, and my plan, my heart, what I love to do is to put my spirit, my power in you so that you can activate the gifts that I give you so you can go out and change the world with me. That's a pretty cool thing, but it's not new. It goes all the way back. If you have your Bible open, go back to Exodus. We're gonna go to Exodus chapter 31, and we're gonna see a picture of a guy in verses one through five. God wants a place of worship built for him. He wants a place where his people, early on, this is early Old Testament, second book of the Old Testament, where God's people can come and worship, and he wants it to be a place that's beautiful, that causes people to worship, that people walk in, and it's so beautiful that it makes them appreciate God. And here's what it says, look at chapter 31, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, who was the, the leader at the time, he says, see, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. That's key. Remember we talked about God's power in you? I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic design, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for settings, and in carving wood to work in every craft. You keep reading that, you read about another guy that got spirit and power. Now, I want you to stop there for a second just because we're gonna get some snapshots along the way. Here's this guy, and he's got a spiritual gift, and it's not preaching, it's not like speaking in tongues, it's not anything that like we would go, oh, that's what a pastor is. His job, God has gifted him to work with gold and silver and bronze and, and woodworking. And the spirit of God filled him, God's power came on him so that he could activate those gifts to make a great worship center for the people to come and worship God. But one of the keys here is the Spirit of God filled him. It's God's power in him. So go forward a little bit further. Go to Numbers. It's, in, it's uh, two books over. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You can see it there on the screen already. Numbers chapter 11, verse 16. I'm gonna give you a second to get there. Moses is still the leader. Moses is still the point person for God. People that are around Moses, they're complaining, they're frustrated with Moses, they're not getting their way with things, they're mad at God, it has to do with some food and the issues. And what God says, then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, look at verse 17, and I will take some of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, I will take some of the Spirit that is on you, that I've given you to lead, and put it on them, 
and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So God, in one instance, has one guy, actually two guys, we read the rest of that passage, whose spirit comes on in order to, to, to do ministry. And then, a couple chapters later, now 70 people. God's gathered these 70 people, and he said, I'm gonna put my spirit on them so that they can lead my people, so that they can do the work of discipleship and leadership and help my people fulfill everything they've called to be. Now we're gonna fast forward several hundred years. Out of the time of Moses, Moses is dead and gone. We've gone through a period, it's called the Judges, and now Israel wants a king. And so God allows them to have a king. His name's Saul. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. It's the first king that the people of Israel have ever had. Saul isn't really interested in being king. He's a little bit scared. And so God says this. God says, hey, here's how you're gonna know that that everything's good. My spirit is gonna come upon you. So look what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse nine. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, Samuel was the high priest, God gave him another heart. That sounds kind of supernatural. That sounds kind of God's power in you. God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and here we see it, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. That's a spiritual gift. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish is Saul also among the prophets. Bezalel, woodworking, stonework, gold, silver, gifted by God. 70 leaders, God's spirit comes on. Now we've got King Saul, who not only prophesies, but the spirit of God comes on him so that the rest of the people go, man, I see that he is different. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see this, that God's been doing this from the very beginning, putting a spirit on people to do ministry. But now we're gonna move in our snapshot. We're gonna go several hundred years further. The kingdoms have divided, and we find a prophet, and his name's Joel. So here, this is gonna be the difficult, this might be table of content right here. Even if you've been like a Bible scholar all your life, Joel may be a little bit difficult to find. It's gonna be kind of in the back middle of the Old Testament. Joel chapter two, this prophet of God has this moment where he's talking to the people of God, and he gives them a future prophecy something that is going to happen in later days. So Exodus, way back here on the timeline. Then we have Saul on the timeline. Then we have Joel. So we're like way further, way down the line past Exodus. And he's gonna preach about or tell them something that comes even further. So Joel chapter two, verse 28, he gives a prophecy of something that's gonna be a game changer. Look at what he says, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards or way later on that I will pour out my spirit, capital S, God's power, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So who's gonna get the Holy Spirit? You can answer. Who's gonna get the Holy Spirit? All flesh. Not just one guy here and 70 guys here and Saul here. All flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days that are coming, I will pour out my spirit. So Joel says, hey, we've seen in the past that God's spirit fallen on people and they've done great things. But there's coming a time, I've already seen it, where the spirit of God's gonna fall on everybody, men, women, old, young, servants, not servants, and they're gonna prophesy and they're gonna dream dreams and they're gonna have these gifts that, are, that God's gonna use in them to change the world. So one last passage of scripture. Let's go to the New Testament. 
Now we're going several hundred more years further. Acts chapter one. I said one through eight, but let's just start in verse four. It says, and while staying with them, this is Jesus, he ordered them, his disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus says to his disciples, hey, stay put, because you're about to be, and they didn't know what this really meant, you're gonna be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is gonna come on you like it did in the Old Testament, like Joel prophesied, in verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not time for you to know, it's not, not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all, in Samaria and all the ends of the earth. And then right after that moment, I think it's like Acts chapter two, when you, when you read a little bit further in Acts, which by the way, if if you're not in the Bible on a regular basis. You've got these on the back table on the way out, December devotionals, and they're through the book of Acts. So you'll be reading some of this. It helps explain what happens at Acts. Brought that up so you can see it. Grab them on the way out. That the Holy Spirit ends up coming on the disciples, and they start speaking in different languages. They, these gifts get actualized. And here's what we know now. What God used to do individually, for Bezalel here, 70 leaders here, Saul here, Joel said it's coming coming for all flesh, and in Acts, we see the very beginning of it, and you and I are all living past all of that in a time where the Spirit of God, if you are a believer, if you've ever had time in your life where you said, Jesus, I want to be, I want to be forgiven my sins, I want to follow you, the Spirit of God, that same Spirit of God, came into your life, and he's ready to use your gifts to change the world. You're a part of a picture, a story, that goes back thousands of years ago, and when it all started, God saw this day, and he saw you. You're part of this, this incredible plan of God. And so many of us are just like sitting on the sideline. So what I, what I want you to do, you know, a lot of times when we, we talk, I try to give you application stuff. Here's, here's what you do, because I don't want you just to, I want you to just read the Bible and, and be done. I want you to go, man, I want to do something. I want, I want to step out and grow spiritually. So a lot of times I give you a list. Here's one thing, here's two things. I'm not giving you a list. In fact, really all I'm going to ask you to do is your application to start preparing your heart. Start getting ready. Start, maybe, maybe it's praying, God, what, what is my gift and what would you have me do? Because my dream, my desire is in 2018 rolls around. I mean, not that we couldn't start now. But in 2018, that every one of you sitting in here, if someone came up to you and said, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? You'd be able to say, hey, here's what God has gifted me to do, what God's called me to do, and I'm out doing it. God's spirit came on me when I became a believer and God planned it from the very beginning and I'm out doing whatever it is. For me, it's preaching the word of God. And for me, it's leading a local church. Those are some of my gifts. And so I'm trying to use those. You've got those and we want you using them. So I don't really have an application for you. I'm not gonna ask you to do something other than just start preparing your heart that 2018 would look way different than 2017. That you wouldn't be on the sidelines, you'd be out. Now here's the thing. When we came back and I talked to our ministry team helping us do this and helping us decorate and things like that. I said, hey, we're gonna do a Christmas series. What do you wanna do? And they said, hey, can we do something about spiritual gifts? I said, well, sure, that was a little bit different. I thought we talked about baby Jesus, but we're doing spiritual gifts. I said, yeah, sure. And here's what I know. Lots of times teenagers 
Love spiritual gifts, and here's why. Because you get really interested in taking one of those spiritual gift tests, right? Who's ever taken one of those? You ever taken a spiritual gift test inventory or something? We, we get those. In this, it's kind of like, you know, what Justice League hero are you? You know, and you take the quiz or whatever. Uh, what state were you really from? You know, and you take that. The same kind of thing. We like those. We're like, I'm going to take this quiz. I'm going to find out something about myself. And we're like, awesome. I took the quiz and I added up all the points. And it says that I have the spiritual gift of exhortation. I don't even know what that means. And we come back a year later, and somebody starts talking about spiritual gifts, and we go, hey, I've got, I, I know I've got the spiritual gift of exhortation, but we haven't been exhorting. You know, that, that, that's, this is too big of a deal. God's had this in plan from the beginning of time. His Spirit's in you, and it's more than a spiritual gift test. We will take some on a Sunday morning during the series. So you can help try to figure out what yours are. <laughs> but that's not the end. You, your application is start preparing to use what you discover over the next three weeks. There's a lady, or I, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. The person's name is Ellie Weichel. Ellie Weichel wrote a book called The Town Beyond the Wall. And it's a novel, which means it's fiction, but it's an autobiographical novel that, that Ellie Weichel wrote of, I'm just going to say, her life. I don't know. We're going to go with her of her life, his life. See, Ellie lived during World War II. Ellie lived in Hungary, and Ellie's community was full of Jewish people. And if you know anything about World War II, you know that the Germans in and around the area of Germany and Hungary and Poland and all those places, it was not a good thing to be a Jew because you were taken from your homes and you were murdered. It's called the Holocaust. A couple of, some of us before have been to, to Poland. We've walked through Auschwitz where, where, where over a million and a half of those Jews were killed. I mean, that. It's a powerful thing in the story of the Jewish people. And Ellie Weichel writes this book way later, and the character goes back to the town that they lived in to get some questions answered. And in the course of it, the questions really weren't about why did the Nazis do it. In fact, the character in the book says, I, I, kinda, I get it. I don't agree with you, but I, I get it. I understand kind of what they were thinking, you know, they were trying to make one master race. It was wrong, but at least I, I see what they're thinking. But the character says, you know what? I couldn't understand, though. There was, there was a person I get closure on. There was a person who lived in our community that I don't know their name. I don't know anything about them. But there was a person who stood in their living room, and I used to see them from time to time stand at their window and pull the curtains back, and they would watch everything that was happening in our town. They'd watch the Nazi soldiers come and grab men and women and drag them through the street and take them to the death train. I'd watch them threaten people with guns. I'd watch, them, I'd watch that person watch the Nazis shoot people. And said, so what I can't understand, what I need closure on is how does somebody just stay there and see all that and do nothing? And here's a quote from the book that describes the person that watched behind the window. The person was described as this, gazing out, reflecting no pity, no pleasure, no shock, not even anger or interest. Impassive, cold, impersonal. The face was indifferent to the spectacle. Here, here's what I wonder. Right now, there's a spiritual war going on, literally. You have friends that you hang out with in school, on your sports team, in your band, in your choir. And, and the enemy, the devil, hates that person. And we know the scripture tells us that. 
And Satan has been attacking that person, trying to convince them that their life is hopeless, trying to convince them that their parents don't care about them, trying to convince them that their future is meaningless, telling them that drugs or alcohol or relationship or cutting or, or, or any number of things is actually the way to feel or actually the way to happiness. And what, they've caught themselves in this spiral that's out of control. And if you could go with me here, I don't think the image is, is, is really too far gone if you picture the enemy, Satan, like the Nazis in that story that are dragging your friends out of their houses, sending them to the death train. And if that's the case, who are we in the story? Are we the Joseph Schindler from the movie Schindler's List, who was a real-life person, who actually went bankrupt, lost all of the money that he had so that he could save Jews and hide them from the Nazis? Because he wasn't gonna be impassive, he wasn't gonna be cold, he wasn't gonna watch the spectacle of the war going on, but he said, I'm gonna do something about it, and I'll, I'll lose everything in order to save these people. Joseph Schindler has a story to tell. Or are we the guy who we don't even know the name? who just is standing in the window of our life, looking out the window while Satan fights a battle and we're on the sideline. Unfortunately, I think most Christians are watching from behind the window. But God, from the beginning of time, had this plan to put a spirit in you. You don't even have to do it. It's God's power in you. And he's gifted you to make a difference so that you can go out and change the world and get off the sidelines and into people's lives and see people's lives change so that they're not, they're not living ordinary lives. So they leave the ordinary, the ordinary and they, they start to step into and live an extraordinary life that hopefully you're living because the spirit of God is inside you and he's empowering you to take his spirit to them. Help them love God, love people. And then that's what you do is helping others do the same, exactly what we're talking about. So in 2018, you can be ready to do it. To use your gifts, to figure out what they are. That's what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. Figuring out what they are and then how to employ them so that you can get off the sidelines and in. There's a guy that you've seen before, but you probably don't know that you have. Anybody know Matthew Eldridge? You know this guy? Jason Bateman? You ever seen a movie he's been in? If you've seen a movie that Jason Bateman's in, you've seen Matthew Eldridge. Because Matthew Eldridge is Jason Bateman's stunt double. So you've watched movies and seen Matthew Eldridge. If he walked in the room, though, you'd probably be like, yeah, that guy looks kind of like an actor I know. He's not Jason Bateman. You probably wouldn't even recognize him other than, does he look kind of familiar? But he spends his life with a bunch of other people to make Jason Bateman a star. You ever watch or pay attention at the end of a movie? We watch the end of movies now because we need to see what little you know, tidbit of movie Marvel or DC is gonna put in you know, so we can see what's coming next. And we wait and we talk to our friends as those credits roll. Hundreds of names, right? They scroll up, people, you, you'll never know their name. They're, they're, they're basically meaningless. Matthew Eldridge's name is one of those names. Hundreds of thousands of names. But here's the deal. All of those people have spent time, energy, and given their lives to be a part of something bigger, to make Jason Bateman a star so he can win an award. Without those people, he doesn't have that trophy. That, that's the picture of what we're talking about. Except for us, the star isn't Jason Bateman, the star is Jesus. And for Jesus to be the star, he has allowed us to become some names 
on a credit roll that nobody's really going to see, nobody's really going to know. But you know what? Everybody's got their role. You're going to run a camera. You're going to write a script. You're going to produce. You're going to be a key grip, whatever that is. But it's important. And God has gifted you for a role so that you can join into something bigger, make Jesus a star, and see the world become a better place.